0: Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, thank you for listening again. Today we're going to be having another interview conducted by Jack Andries from Marina de Ragusa, on the south coast of sicily he's interviewing the owners of the sailing yacht Eve's. so i really appreciate jack taking the time to do this this is really cool that i have (laughs) correspondents out there now contributing stories to the podcast so let's see what's on the uh, agenda i've written jake miller (laughs) three or four times, saying, Jake, we need to finish up your story of your sailing in the Adriatic. The last episode when Jake talked, he had just gone through almost uh, hurricane-force winds to get into uh, Venice. And so I want to catch up and see what happened after that, Jake. So I've written you several emails. You haven't responded. I know you're busy, but uh, let me know when you can do that. Andrew Vick on Sailing Gija, we've got to finish the interview with him. And for the first time in, I think, over a year and a half, I'm looking forward to talking to Dan Culpepper again from Sailing Hadling. Or Hadling. Dan took off, sailed across the Atlantic, sailed a summer in Italy, and I have not caught up on, with him since then. Wrote him an email a couple times. I said, Dan, did I offend you sometime? He said, no, 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 just had a lot of other things going on. Let's try to schedule an interview. And Neil Fletcher this month is doing the, the big party race, the Newport Beach, California, to Ensenada, Mexico International Yacht Race. I've done that <laughs> several times. And at the end of that race, it is a pretty big party. I don't know if Neil plans on doing an episode on this race. I hope he does. So, Neil, um, think about it. Hey, I was reading a book by Nassim Taleb, and as you know, I like Nassim Taleb. He's written several books that I've enjoyed. Uh, Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, and the one I'm reading right now is Skin in the Game. And it was uh, in in the first uh, part of the book, he quotes somebody and I thought this was really apropos, you know, because I am pretty much uh, a libertarian mindset person. But uh, but his comment was really political beliefs are a matter of scale. And he quoted somebody, and I can't remember exactly who he quoted, but I'm going to paraphrase what it was. And he said, at the national level, I'm a libertarian. At the state level, I'm a Republican. At the local level, I'm a Democrat. And at the family and friends level, I'm a socialist. And I thought that had a lot of truth to it. You know, I'm a libertarian, but I'm never going to be a libertarian, a strict libertarian with my family and friends. In fact, it's almost the opposite. You want to do what you can for family and friends, regardless of compensation or any of the libertarian beliefs. So it's... uh, I thought it was an interesting quote. If you get a chance, uh, you might want to read that book, Skin in the Game, or any of the Nassim Taleb books I've enjoyed. I've really enjoyed Anti-Fragile. I've talked about some of the comments he made in Anti-Fragile in past episodes, particularly, at least I think I did. I know I did in my Series 7 podcast, because in that podcast I have, I think, six lessons on uh, equity options. And the first option ever recorded was by... Thales of Miletus, and I've been to Miletus. Actually, I went back to Miletus again last summer. One of my favorite ruins to visit in Turkey. It's totally off the tourist track. Everybody heads up to Ephesus. Nobody heads down to Miletus, which is in the Meander River Valley south of Cushatasi. And then there's another ruin there that's absolutely spectacular in the same valley called Perini. And I go visit those, i visited them both probably three times now, maybe four times. And I just love the fact that there's no tourists there. Very, very few tourists. Usually you have the ruins to yourself and you can wander around uh, all over the ruins by yourself. There's a huge amphitheater at Miletus. (laughs) No, No tourists. I love it. You have all these big cruise ships, four or five cruise ships coming into see every day, unloading thousands, or oh, probably thirty, forty thousand people a day. They all tromp up to Ephesus and wander on down through Ephesus because uh, they want to see where uh, what was it? Paul? It I, listen, I'm not a Bible guy, but uh, Paul preached to the Ephesians or something like that. Uh, nobody goes south to, to Miletus or Perini. And there's even one a little farther south, the Temple of uh, Apollo, I think it is. Beautiful temple. That one gets actually quite a bit more tourist traffic than Miletus or Perini do. (laughs) I got off on this track. But anyway, the book, uh, Skin in the Game, which basically says, hey, listen, if you don't have skin in the game, don't tell other people how to live their lives. I think of sailors as the people that need to determine the safety needs of their boat are the people that are on the boats, the ones that have skin in the game. If you screw up on your boat, if you don't take care of your boat, you're going to pay the price. And of course, uh, regulators, politicians always like to say, well, it's not just you, it could be the passengers on the boat. Well, yeah, I can see that point to a certain extent, but not to the point where bureaucrats should be setting rules and regulations. When they don't have any skin in the game. All right. Before we get on to the interview that Jack conducted, let me thank my sponsor Sailrite. And by the way, I've been using my Sailrite machine uh, well, off and on. I need to. Ma- I needed to make some uh, clamps. So I went down to Harbor Freight and got brought some of those ratchet straps, um, which come in two pieces. One piece. Piece hooks on one side and one piece hooks on the other side, and I didn't need that. I had to cut off one of them and sew it. So I I knew what I wanted, which was just one continuous strap with a ratchet on one side. So it was basically a, a circle that I could ratchet down without having to connect these big ugly steel hooks together. And uh, oh, it just it just did a great job. It just went through that doubles that heavy duty webbing. I like butter. I like my machine. I like, I like tools. I like, to, I like to get tools, and even if I only use them once in a while, when you need them, tools are, are so valuable. My wife's never really fought me on buying tools because she knows when you need the right tool, you need the right tool. And, uh, anyway, let's get on to my advertisement for Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E.com. To the next section of the show. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. Well, really, only one question today and a rant. So my first rant is when I answer questions, quite often I go on to Google Earth and zoom in on the areas that I want to talk about. And I will, uh, you know, since I have a terrible memory, I will zoom in on some of the photographs that are in the area that I want to talk about. And usually one or two of the photographs has the proper name of the harbor or city. Google Earth is terrible for actually giving you information that is valuable as far as the names of cities and places. Well, this week, Google discontinued those little images that people used to contribute. And it, it is uh, highly alarming to me because as, uh, as users of Google Earth over the years, people have contributed photographs, uh, geo-referenced photographs, that appear in Google Earth with information, and Google has discontinued those. And uh, let me read you what Google says about this because I was doing this to try to answer this question. And it says, "Thank you for stopping by. P- Panorimo has been discontinued. We appreciate your contr- contributions over the years and hope you will continue to share amazing photographs with the world." Sincerely, the Panarimo team. Frequently asked questions. What happened to my Panarimo data? If you were a Panarimo profile was linked to your Google account, then all your Panarimo photos are being copied to your Google album archive at full resolution. This could take several weeks. All other data has been permanently deleted. So basically, all those photographs that we used to be able to zoom in on, and showing the favelas in Brazil... And uh, places that may not have been pleasant postcard photographs have been deleted. Google has gone in and decided to censor photographs, delete photographs, and only put out picture postcard photographs that do not contain the information that individuals used to contribute in their photographs. So answering questions like this are going to be much more difficult for me in the future because I don't have my... All my pilots here at my desk uh, in in Salt Lake City, they're usually on the boat. So I'm not going to be able to find the information to relate to you as easily, or maybe not at all, because I don't have the time to go research out the actual true names that I used to be able to just do with a click on some photographs in Google Earth. So Google Earth, Google, if you're listening, you just made a great product, pretty shitty. So... I don't know what to say. Anyway, this, this letter is, and it's only I only have one letter this week. It's from Duran. I don't know if it's the same Duran that wrote the other day. Um, he said, hi, I really enjoyed listening to your podcast. It's really important to hear real stories from real people. I sailed with Howard Clayman in Greece where we had a boat delivery and last year sailed a week in Turkey, Gochek area. This year, in June, I plan to take a few friends and sail the Saronic Gulf from Alamos towards Hydra and back. I have several concerns regarding this course, so maybe you can share your experience. In Turkey, we enjoyed great anchorage areas with or without the small restaurant in it, being closer to nature. In Greece, it seems you always have to enter a marina. Can you recommend such places, even nice places to stop and have a meal, and swim. I have no idea how busy the area is in June. What are the chances we will come to a small marina like Idra and it's full? Do we have to come very early to find a night spot? Well, let me answer that second part first. Uh, I can can only give you limited information on the Saronic Gulf because I really only sailed it last summer, and in hindsight, I wish I'd sailed it a lot more over the years. But uh, to answer your question on Hedra, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to uh, get into Hedra early in the morning to get a spot in there. It's a small harbor. The first time I went to Hedra, I actually took a uh, ferry down from Poros. Uh, We didn't want to sail down there. We just wanted to take the ferry down and check it out for a day and then take the ferry back. But I was observant very closely of the marina when we pulled in, and it was a pretty bouncy marina. Uh, The the north winds were blowing, the Meltimis were blowing, and it's a fairly exposed marina to the north. Even though there is a breakwater, there's quite a bit of swell that gets into it. And it was jam-packed and... I decided I wasn't going to even try to take my boat into it because I need maneuvering room and this this marina had very little maneuvering room. But if you want to go to Hydra, and you have a boat that is maneuverable and backs in in a straight line like a lot of the charter boats do, uh, yeah, you'll need to get there early. In fact, you'll probably sit outside uh, the the breakwater and wait for a boat to come out before you want to uh, even try to go into the marina yeah, it's going to be hard to find a spot in Idra. I I anchored just right across the way uh, when we sailed over from um, Seraphos over to the Saronic Gulf, and we stayed uh, at an anchorage that we pulled into in the middle of the night, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts. And like I say, I'm zooming in on Google Earth trying to find the name of the the anchorage, and it might be... RADA. And of course now Google Earth doesn't let me zoom in and look at this photograph and doesn't give me all the information that used to be available. Uh, So Google really, really screwed up Google Earth this last uh, week. So I've sailed over there. There's a little anchorage and I can give you the latitude and longitude, uh, but that takes a lot of time and most people don't think in latitude and longitude. You'd have to be zooming in on Google Earth to look at it. But it's Basically, if you're heading up to uh, Poros, uh, it's just around the corner to the east. There's a, about f- one, two, three little islands right at the tip of the peninsula. And there's a nice little anchorage tucked in there. And that's where I anchored that night. The next day, we sailed by Hydra and decided not to go in there. And we sailed on over to Hermione. Hermione. Yeah, Ermioni. The harbor there, again, was full, and, but there was a nice anchorage area to the north with good holding, so we anchored there and dingied in. Uh, strong winds were blowing that day. It was a great sail because it was basically a, uh, a broad reach all the way over there. Or Actually, I shouldn't say it. It was a tight reach to get up there because we, sl- we went down to Hydra and then up to E R M I O N I. Er Er Ermione. nice little village, (coughs) fighting a bit of a cough. You may see my voice, you may hear that my voice is uh, a little rough right now, but I've been, (laughs) literally, this cough has been going on for months now. Anyway, from there, we sailed on down to, uh, took a leisurely sail down to Kozunos, K O U Z O. U-N-O-S, Kozunos, And the reason we went down there is we needed to refuel, and that was the nearest fuel dock that I could find in the pilot. So we pulled in there, really tight quarters in there. Uh, It was pretty full. Uh, Again, if you wanted to stay here, you need to arrive pretty early. Lots of charter boats were trying to get in there and spend the night. We pulled in there. We found the fuel dock. We had to wait for a boat to leave the fuel dock. And finally it left, and we were able to refuel. And then we looked around for a place to stay that night. And uh, there was no place uh, in the town. We could have possibly anchored in the bay there, but we chose not to. We wanted to go somewhere else where there was better swimming. And again, the winds were blowing from the north, and that was fairly exposed to the north. And the anchorage would have been possibly a bit bumpy. So we decided not to stay there for the night. So we headed straight up across the bay uh, to a bay called, uh, well, Costas, near a town called Costa, K-O-S-T-A. Lots of little anchorages around there, uh, all surrounded by pretty much um, uh, hotels, big hotels. Remember, uh, the Saronic Gulf is a, a day trip for people in Athens, so you're going to be getting a lot of tourists from Athens. Also, um, it seems to be fairly developed from the point of view of big hotels. Um, But there's still some places to go in there that that, uh, would be worth checking out. So those were really the only two places we, we visited. And then from there, we headed back up to the town of Poros, so that was really my only experience in the Saronic Gulf, but I know that other listeners have spent time sailing there. And as I looked at the pilot and chart, there were lots of little nooks and crannies that if I had the time, I would have loved to explore. But last year, I just did not have the time to explore it. I was on a, on a mission to get over to uh, Dubrovnik. So I would put out a call to any of our listeners that would like to come on and talk about sailing in the Saronic Gulf. Now the Saronic Gulf is going to be one of your two choices if you decide you want to charter a boat out of Athens, out of Kalamaki Harbor or one of the other harbors in Athens. You're going to have a choice of going out to the Cyclades Islands or you can go head down to the Saronic Gulf or you might do both. You might hit a little bit of the Saronic Gulf and and then head over to the Cyclades Islands. Uh, if you want a little closer anchorages, the Saronic Gulf has lots of little places, fairly flat sailing because you've got a lot of protection. You'll get some waves, but not big big rollers like you will get getting out in the uh, passages between the islands. So I would like somebody out there, and I'm sure we have listeners out there that have explored the Saronic Gulf much more than I have, to come on and talk to you about it. So I'm putting out a call for information for somebody to respond that so will come on the podcast and uh and talk about sailing in the Saronic Gulf and give us some tips and tricks and information. So sorry I can't help you more with it. Again, my RAN, I'm really frustrated that Google Earth takes a great product and devalues it. And apparently what they want to do is they want to uh, start promoting the images. So if you're not promoting an image, your image is not going to sit there. Uh, so don't waste your time submitting photographs to Google Earth anymore because they're probably not going to use them. All right, with that out of the way, <laughs> let's get on to our interview with Sailing Eves. <laughs> That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me franz one at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm looking for more. If you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode.
1: Hello, this is uh, Jack Andries for Franz's Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm here at Marina de Ragusa on a lovely boat called Yves Christian, Um, and I have Sasha and Lottie to tell us all about how they came about the boat, what made them buy a boat, what made them live on a boat, and uh, their story so far. And I believe that um, Lottie is going to tell us the bit about jumping aboard and getting away from land life. So here's Lottie.
2: Hi everyone. So basically about a year and a half ago, um, Sash and I were considering moving to the Med, we love Greece, and we were looking at houses in Greece uh, quite seriously. But then we started thinking we might get bored staying in the same place all of the time. And then Sash, my partner, said, why don't we buy a boat (laughs) and we can just travel around wherever. And he'd been sailing since he was a, a young boy but I um, have always felt terribly seasick on a boat. But I thought, let's go for it, let's have an adventure. I
3: think you were drunk at the time. I was drunk at I the time as well.
1: <laughs>
2: so Sash started the process of uh, looking at his porn online, which was the <laughs> yacht brokerages, And uh, he came across quite a few boats he liked and eventually um, through a bit of a fluke saw Eve Christian, a beautiful old wooden boat and uh, he went down to see it he came back the next day and I could tell immediately he'd fall in love with it and basically then it was just a question of getting the finances uh, sort of s- sorted um,
3: we'd look, we'd, I wanted a Bristol pilot cutter originally and had seen one in a brokerage that was uh, moored in Spain and so when I rang the broker up uh, he made me tell him why we were looking for a certain type of boat, and when um, when I described what we were looking for, we were looking for a heavy, uh, classic wooden boat. A Lottie obviously feels seasick, so we needed something that was sea- seaworthy and stable. Uh, when he listened to that, he said, "Well, have you seen this other boat, Eve Christian?" Um, and that was really the uh, the start of of the process of of buying her.
2: Um, and from buying her, it took us about only three months till we moved on. So we
3: yeah we bought we bought her in November and she went through the yard in January and February, uh, and then we moved on to her in April, didn't we?
2: Yeah. So as, as soon as the sale went through, I went into work the next day. I'd been teaching at a um, a school for fifteen years and uh, said, can I see the, the head? I need an appointment to see the head. And I felt so good, handing in my resignation. But my headmaster burst into tears. Um, he thought I was just sick of teaching. I said, no, we're going to sail the world. And he was like, that's fantastic. And I showed him photos of the boat, and he was suddenly like beaming and so happy for us. And that's sort of the general reaction we got from most people when we told them they were quite... Astounded, but a bit mm. a jealous and happy it, for it's us. It's
3: amazing how many people you find uh, and speak to that actually have maybe not exactly the same dream uh, with a with a boat, but maybe setting off with an RV around the world or around the country and just travelling. And so I think it struck a chord with a lot of people who wanted, you know, who who want that kind of ability to cut themselves free of the. The normal day-to-day life and and just actually do it
2: yeah I think I I had a bit of trepidation because obviously I I knew from past tiny sails I get very seasick and a bit frightened of water as well but I thought I would use this as an opportunity to overcome my fears and take it as a personal challenge and we were so sick of being in a rut being in a bit of a monotonous rut and we just wanted to, like, do something totally different. And then, like, we, we it was a mad sort of three months of getting our house ready to rent out, everything in storage, uh, letting our son's school know, arranging schoolwork. And then suddenly we moved onto the boat. When I first got onto the boat, I thought it was beautiful. It was much beautiful than I could see from the photographs. But when I saw our berth, I did scream a little bit because i thought it was like a um it's quite it was it looks much cozy. smaller than, than i'd imagined uh, a bit like a <laughs> hobbit <laughs> den that's how i thought of it um and it, t- it took about a month of getting used to i was always bumping my head i broke my toe the first few weeks you know the kids kept bumping their heads and crying and i thought oh my god are we doing the right thing and now, though, it's, it, it's their home and they sort of cry, if we ever it is. mention it. We, we've,
3: we've got two kids. We've got uh, uh, an older boy, Hector, and he's just coming up to seven in June. And then we've got Phoebe Plum, uh, who is generally known as the Phoebes and she is just turned three. Uh, and I have two older boys as well, one. Uh, he's uh, just turned 17. Uh, and my second son, Jack, is, uh, is 15 and they, they come and join us in school holidays.
2: Yeah, the boat um, actually sleeps nine. It's got nine berths, although that is a, a tight squeeze. Um, but, you know, we could accommodate mm. that, many people, if we wanted to. Yeah, yeah. So
1: <coughs> so can I ask you uh, a little bit about um, maybe painting the setting that we're in? Okay. And, and then talking about um, the boat a little bit as well, because I think you know that would be great to, to see, understand see, the details of that when you
3: say the setting the boat or the <coughs> or the marina like, or where are we right now okay. i mean
1: you know we're in the marina but um
3: okay we we're, we're in marina di ragusa uh, in southern southeastern sicily um it's a it's a it's a nice marina it's part of a a town that's um kept going throughout the winter it's been a fantastic place to to berth over the winter um it's it's a very Friendly place, lots of friendly people here. They're very inclusive in terms of in terms of the marina crowd here, and the marina here has been exceptional, probably exceptional um, throughout the world because it's uh, we've had a consistent um, core of 23 children and lots of families living here all winter. Um, it's been fantastic for our children uh, in terms of mixing with other kids of their own age and different ages. Uh, we've managed to do things like. Uh, Lottie's run a craft afternoon every Monday over the winter. Um, Max, uh, a few boats down. He's run a, a, a film club on a Wednesday. So, you know, things like that have kept the kids amused. Lots of yeah, it's a bit on. like
2: a, a commune, in a way. It is. It's it is. it has got a bit of a commune yeah. feel. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, it's been fantastic. It's um, been great
3: weather. Uh, you know, it's been much, much better than mainland Europe here because we're so close to North Africa. Yeah. And so we've had, you know,
2: 17s, we didn't. 80s. We didn't originally expect to be here over winter. We'd, we'd uh, thought we'd end up in in Greece and maybe winter in Greece, but we never got that far. We sailed. 1700 miles when we left England last June so across Biscay down the Atlantic coast and then round past uh, the Balearics and Sardinia and then it got to October and we just thought let's let's stay here we'd heard really good things about it so
3: and, and a really great eclectic mix of people as well uh, we, there lots of Americans Australians uh, Dutch people from New Zealand British people here, Norwegians, it's its a real cross mix, but a real cross mix of just normal people I expected when we, we set sail originally <laughs> to just find lots of salty sea dogs with long beards and um, <laughs> washing flapping about on the boat and, and old crappy old boats, but actually it's just normal people have just decided to take their families away um, or, or spend the time in retirement sailing a boat and it's been absolutely fantastic to to mix with people because as we sailed around to here we found ourselves mixing with some people but you know not the not the numbers that we find here and it's been uh, it's been
1: a revelation all right so so now can i ask you to um <clears throat> maybe tell us a, a little bit more detail about eve's christian and sort of the year the make um you know i guess we're sitting in the pilot house right now yeah. maybe just describe that and Okay, uh, Eve Christian
3: is uh, a bespoke boat designed by a designer called uh, William McBride in Glasgow, and he designed the boat for a French customer. Uh, and the boat was built in Carantec in in northern France, and she was built in 1952, purportedly for the uh, finance minister for Charles de Gaulle at that time. Uh, I've never been able to prove that, uh, but she's uh, th- that. That's that's the that's the story. One of the uh, one of the parts of the legend is that he had the table made with gun racks underneath. Uh, there's there's, there's a, a rack for three guns, which were allegedly for personal protection. Whether that was the case or not, nobody will ever know. She was built with oak frames and uh, iroko hull uh, and teak throughout. So she's a very solid boat, very heavy totally empty she's weighs about 36 tons but we've got big water tanks we've got big uh, fuel tanks 1300 litres of water 1500 litres of fuel so fully laden and fully provisioned she's about 44 tons and she is 56 feet on deck and 62 uh, with a bowsprit so uh, she's, she's, she's quite a big girl 15, 14 foot 3 wide so she's not not beamy like a modern boat.
2: And what we like about it is there's lots of deck space for the kids yes. when we're sailing. There's, there's lots of space for them to, you know, just walk about and play. And we, we've got, like, safety netting. We had safety netting all around the rails um, as one of the, the key yep. things before we set off as well.
3: Yeah, she's got nice high rails with a, a teak capping rail as well. So their centre of gravity is below the rail when they're when they're on the deck she 's a gaff catch uh, so she's got uh, she's got a, a jib staysail, a mainsail which is a gaff and then a, a mizzen and she sails beautifully we can bounce her on the jib or the and the mizzen or uh, the the uh, staysail and the uh, and the main and uh, she's, a, she's very powerful when she sails uh, and, and I hear it takes you a while
1: to raise the sails.
3: Yes, um, the the jibs the jibs really easy because it's on roller reefing. The mizzen's in the cockpit, so that's really easy. Uh, but when it comes to the main, uh, raising the main, she's got the, the gaff, which is which is quite heavy, and no winches, no power winches, no no, no uh, winch for handles, no winch, no drum winches.
2: I have to like use all my body weight to, to pull yeah, it yeah. down for you to tighten it yeah, up yeah. bit by
3: bit. We, we we've got cleats on the deck and it's it's like sailing an old square rigger where you you're hauling the rope down uh, tying tying off at the bottom hauling it again with your body weight tying it off at the bottom and just gently taking the the gaff up and until she's at the top and then and then getting a set right but it's uh, you can do it I have done it on my own it probably takes about half an hour uh, with with another person it probably takes about 15 20 minutes but uh, it's it's quite quite a challenge
1: yeah, 15-20 minutes
3: to yeah. take to get the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you, it, well, with my older lads. It's a bit quicker, um, but it's just because the uh, because there are no winches. You have got um, lots of turns on the block and tackle, so you end up with a lot of rope on the deck because uh, you, yeah. you put, you're hauling on to on 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 two halyards, um, and so the you have miles a lot of, quite a lot of
0: swearing
2: and grunting
3: yeah, yeah. a lot of tidying up afterwards but uh, but she's beautiful when she's when she's under full sail and uh, and because it's not a really tall rig she's powerful but she does, so she doesn't she, she doesn't heal a huge amount but but she pushes along powerfully so she's a, a so great what, boat what's,
1: and what sort of speeds do you get out of it?
3: um Cruising speed tends to be about six, six and a half knots, uh, seven knots. Once she's uh, once she's getting a, a, a bit of breeze, and we've seen eight, eight and a half knots out of her. Um, she's uh, she really needs a bit of wind to, to get her going with the weight. So you know anything under fifteen knots, and it's probably not worth going through the pain of raising the, the mainsail. <laughs> um, right. You know you, you want to be seeing fifteen, sixteen knots, and then and then it's worth going. If you see it, if you twenty knots and you're happy. Yeah. Uh, so she likes a bit of wind.
1: Okay. And and then what about the uh, the power and the ground tackle?
3: Okay. Oh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the power on the boat, she's um, powered by an American engine. It's a General Motors Detroit Series fifty three four uh, engine. I think it's about three three point six liters. She's a two stroke diesel. Um, I think in the states they're called Jimmys. They're renowned across the states. For logging equipment, for trucks, um, World War II landing craft, which I think was you know sort of the the beginnings of that that particular engine type, but there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these engines out in the states, so the parts are really uh, easy to come by. <clears throat> you know she's uh, she's a big old solid piece of iron, and right. always starts on the button. So what's the
1: horsepower?
3: Uh, she's about 150 horsepower uh, which for the which for the boat is is, is probably all right although originally um, she was designed with a 50 horsepower engine in mind. Wow. But, but that just seems like crazy um, so she's she, she can push us along she's got loads and loads of grunt so you know it's uh, loads and yep. loads of torque and uh, and once she's going she makes a big thumping noise thankfully she's in a an engine room with, with good soundproofing. <laughs> and what, uh, How does she reverse? Uh, badly, um, <laughs> she does reverse but uh, you know all the, all the laws of physics in terms of prop, uh, prop wash and, and, and the way the propeller turns to turn your boat in a certain direction just go out the window. Sometimes she decides she wants to go to port, sometimes she goes to starboard and you know, while she's got a lot of windage the wind doesn't seem to make any difference either. She just decides where she's going, and only somebody in a in a rib pushing us uh, can really save us when we're going backwards, especially into a small spot uh, and lots of fending off. But uh, so we don't really go into marinas a great deal. Uh, yeah. She, she yeah. the previous owners, always looked at as at her as a as a. Um, a an anchorage boat a boat to stick out an anchor and we agree with that you know we, we've had our best times on anchor
1: yeah and and so how how much uh, fuel and oil do you go through really? okay we, we uh, we've got
3: fifteen hundred liters of of diesel oil uh, diesel fuel on the on the boat and when the engine's going she uses I think nine liters an hour right okay. uh, which, which isn't too bad that's about 1800 rpm um, so it's not too bad, but the the thing with our diesel usage is all our hot, our boiler and our hot water and our heating and all our cooking equipment are run by diesel, uh, which is quite unusual. So we don't have to worry about gas uh, and refilling uh, butane or anything like that when we get into marinas. Um, a diesel central heating system is quite normal, but we have a, a glass plate diesel hob and a, a and a diesel oven. Uh, which are a Dutch make uh, a company called Wallace, yeah, and I think they they're probably uh, supplying the Dutch uh, river uh, houseboat market. I think uh, with with that right. product, but I, right I haven't here, seen,
1: I have not seen that. It's it,
3: very very rare. You, you know, I've never I've never seen other boats with it on. Um, it, it's totally unique to me, uh, but great because you don't have that worry of yeah. leaking yeah. gas or gas in your bilges and explosions. Not a uh, one of the children pressed down on the yeah well, yeah we we've, we've got uh, we've got flues that come out of the out of the the, the cooking heat the cooking system and they go out onto deck and um, for heavy weather and uh, lots of green water you can actually close the vents and once when we started to cook all the smoke came back down and we thought we were on fire uh, that's because the kids had gone up and closed <laughs> the vents Yep. and we didn't know they did that at that time and we ended up taking the entire system apart to clean it out thinking it had gone wrong and spent three days just before we left uh, which was actually probably worthwhile because at least it gave it a good service but all because uh, I think Phoebe had closed the vents Anyway, there <laughs> yeah. you go yeah.
1: And, and uh, what about the anchors, the ground tackles?
3: Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a big old... Um, I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like a ship's anchor. Uh, I've tried to look up the type, but it looks a bit like a haul anchor. If you look one of those up, right? Um, and it's uh, it's it's I don't know how how many kilograms it'll be. You yeah, know, probably hundred maybe. It's quite big, um, and probably not particularly effective. It's heavy. We've got lots of chain, and um, yeah, when we lay that down, now we've got used to the boat. Uh, we can always make her fast, but. Uh, we had one nasty accident coming round um the n- the northwest coast of uh, of spain um helpfully called the death coast the uh, costa de la morte and uh and we went and anchored in a place called Camarinas which is a big bay we had a, a had quite a swelly night overnight there when we when we got there um but the anchor f- was fine we got up the next morning, went to explore, had a fantastic lunch and then came back in the dinghy about three o'clock in the afternoon, well about two o'clock in the afternoon and then so- suddenly saw the boat seemed just a bit further away and we remembered <laughs> right. and we we thought no, she can't have moved and she'd moved about probably, I don't know, half a mile, three quarters of a mile down the bay and she was sitting right by the beach and 20 meters either side there were rocks and this beach is is an absolute golden beach no stones it actually isn't gold is in go- it's actually gold in color and we flew down this uh, this um, bay and got on board jumped on board lots of swearing uh, i've've only once in my life have
1: I um, beached a, a boat and so I know all so, the techniques so th- so you came back and you had a 45 ton boat. Yeah, on the beach. On the
3: beach, she was sitting upright. Keel was on the, on the sand, and uh, I knew I had seconds, minutes to get her off. Uh, So I did all the things that I've read about and I've experienced once before. Putting the boom over to one side, Uh, the anchor was still out. So we used the anchor and the the windlass to try and pull us off and pull us round and and out. Use the engine. Um, We tried every trick in the book, but she was just, she just would not move. And um, that was that was a pretty horrendous day, that actually, because it we was. We were at
2: such a, an extreme angle. Uh, the children and I. Yeah. We, we didn't really know what to do, so we, we just went inside the, the cabin and it got to what degree? Well, say that it's worse. Well,
3: yeah, about 40. We got to 45 degrees. 45 it, degrees. It, 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 was, it was quite extreme because um, obviously when we got on the boat, she was totally upright but she was fast and, and then she started to, to heel towards the beach and uh, so we knew we were going to go over and then we had to assess how far she was going to go over and then uh, Camarina search and rescue turned up in the truck um, after we had some onlookers on the beach, which really wasn't very far away um, and they, uh, I, I went over the dinghy and talked to them we worked out that we were going to be in about a metre of water before the tide turned and went and came back in again, so I, I was pretty confident we weren't actually going to touch the side of the hull, but we went right over in t- and we draw three meters on the on the keel, so I mean she was. I,
2: I think it was about it was about seven hours. I just had to stay on the berth with with the two children yeah. we couldn't move we, we couldn't just, yeah you know we can't obviously walk or even get to the loo it was, yeah, yeah, it was pretty well, we, we
3: were walking on the, on the side on you know, on cabinets to get, get yeah get about the boat we, it
2: felt like being in a cartoon yeah. it, it, was,
3: it was it was really strange and uh, you know and of course when you're in that sort of situation there's nothing you can do but a lots of people who just come and gawp you know we suddenly became like a local Interesting thing that was happening, and yeah. I was
2: the, the stupid bricks.
3: Yeah, exactly. I, was, I took the flag down actually, and uh, and then <laughs> and then a the French flag. Yeah, and then and then I was sitting in, uh, with my feet on the on the side of the uh, uh, the pilot house, and uh, this guy walked out. He um, he he'd, he'd taken his he'd sort of stripped down, and he, he waded out, and we we can have only been about twenty meters from the beach at this stage. Um, not even that, and he had a phone held above his head, and he's, I went out thinking, "What on earth? I mean, maybe Camarina search and rescue want to speak to me, uh, but they were on the radio, so i didn 't quite understand that, and he gave me the phone. he said, "Do you speak English? Do you speak English?" I said, "Yes." He said, "You take phone, you take phone." I said okay, I took the phone and, and it ended up it was a local journalist from the Galician um, <laughs> local a regional newspaper. Just uh, the, what you need. yeah. The voice of Galicia, that was it. And she in, she said, Do you mind if I interview you? <laughs> and I thought, Actually, well, there's, there's no way of just hiding from this. I said, Okay, yeah, no problem. I explained what happened. And what wasn't any, it wasn't <laughs> our fault, honest. Anyway, uh, well, there,
2: there was, you know, there, there was a time where we thought we'd only just begun our adventure and it was yeah. over. Actually, before. we thought it was, was going we to end out on that beach, everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, for about an hour, didn't we? Yeah. You know, it was pretty
3: horrific. Yeah. We, we thought it was the unluckiest day of our trip, but actually it was the luckiest because we were between these rocks on a golden sandy beach. We only went down, you know, we went down to a metre. We didn't, you know, we didn't lose all the water under, under us, so we didn't even touch the side. Uh, the waves were, were very calm. The wind was calm. And, you know, by 10 o'clock we were back upright, yeah. And, and, you know, with the help of a, a local French boat who used our dinghy to, to pull us as well as uh, we dropped the anchor 50 metres out to, again, give us a bit of leverage to turn round.
2: And it's made us, like, super cautious now about anchoring. It has, and yeah. it's probably been a good thing. It has. we really it, tested and double tested.
3: Yeah. It, was, it was a combination of things that, that got us that day. It was, it was a lot of weed that the anchor was in because when it came up, uh, it was just a big ball of weed. And it was, um, it was just not setting it aggressively enough with enough chain. You know, I think we were doing five, five to one ratio on, on, on the scope. And, uh, and, and now we lay at least seven to one and, yeah. and really stick her in reverse and okay. really, yeah, yeah. really dig the anchor in. Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, you live and, and learn. And so at that point in time, the, the boat was on, on the keel only um, on the sand. And the rudder was obviously protected. What's yeah, what was the rudder? She's a she's a long keel boat,
3: which uh, makes it difficult to go backwards. Yeah. Um, and and the the, the rudder um, is is part of that keel um, profile, so so that's pretty protected. Um, so you know, in terms of anything getting damaged, we actually didn't scratch any of the paintwork or anything. It was amazing. Yeah. Um,
1: no. And that's an exciting story. And I, and I think that. Um, also, and I, maybe just covered this as well, because we've just talked about doing the, the interview there, because um, recently, whilst we've been here, Lottie was interviewed on, what, UK national TV, is that right?
2: Yes, it was um, our, our local newspaper from Northumberland in England has sort of been following us, following our adventure, and then a, um, a sort of more national journalist picked it up thought was a great story for new year about sort of escaping the rat race and, and living your dreams. so she sort of commissioned out an interview and uh it went sort of national and then i think it was uh good morning britain on itv uh we set up a, a skype thing here in the, the pilot cabin and, and my uh, my son hexter and i were, were interviewed for for breakfast, TV live well,
3: on Skype. Yeah,
2: I got a lot of surprised uh, friends <laughs> saying, oh, "I saw you on TV this morning." But that was that was good fun, and they used it to sort of, I think, you know, on New Year's Day, if you're sick of your life, you can change it. You you, you can have an adventure if you put your mind to it. So and,
3: that, and you that's You can what we've done.
2: overcome. Yeah,
3: actually, that it, if there's one lesson for us that we share with other people that are thinking about doing this sort of thing it, it's there are hundreds of reasons not to do this it's you know older relatives and but they get sick there's you know do you rent your house out do you not rent your house out Your children's education the list goes on and on and on and you know there, there are so many reasons not to do it and then there are only a few reasons to actually want to do it and that's and they're quite selfish reasons. You know, you want to have an adventure. Um, it'll be interesting for the kids, you know, good for their development. But there, there, there are not the the burning negative issues. And and I think if there's one thing to say, and that's just sod it all and just do it. You know, because you, actually it's the best thing. Um, it's, it's been the best thing for the kids. It's really, really shown them different cultures. It's shown them... Uh, a new way of life that you you don't need to live in a house to have a home,
2: yeah, you can live in a very small space um, yes. with very few possessions, yes, and I you know when I think about it when I used to work, you know I'd end up spending my salary on new clothes, eating out, trying to try and make myself feel better about you know going back to work on Monday, whereas here i think yeah. i've I haven't bought new clothes. No, but yeah. Yes. You just, <laughs> so, you know, you Scary, just, isn't it? You, but it does, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Prior, you know?
3: Priorities change, and uh, and we talk about small space. That was probably that was there was quite a culture shock when we moved onto the boat in April last year. Um, you know, being able to survive in a small space where there's very very little privacy, and
2: especially with a two year old. Yeah,
3: well. yeah, and it, it's. You know, even just having a shower or or getting changed or just having some time to yourself, that's that's quite a big change in life. And you know, we, we probably all struggled with that t- to different degrees, but it's uh, it's something you get used to uh, and adapt to. And probably once we got going, because actually the reality is, when we moved onto the boat, we moved onto the boat and we were preparing it. It was like a surrogate house. But it was very different once we were going because it, we were on the journey then, we were seeing different things. And so your mind's taken off that you're in a small space um, because life just takes on a, a totally different dimension uh, once, you, once you're off and, off and going. Uh, but well,
1: yeah, I was going to say that um, maybe we could uh, just take a little break right now. I can open this bottle of wine and then afterwards we can talk about the actual journey that you made on that 1700. Nautical miles since April two thousand seven hundred. Two thousand seven hundred nautical miles since April two thousand seventeen. All right, back soon. Okay, so we've uh, we've opened that bottle of wine, we've had a few glasses, and we're back talking about uh, more details in respect to Sasha and Lottie's and Yves Christian's trip, uh, which started in two thousand and seventeen April. Um, maybe some more detail on the actual ports that you went to, why you came to the Mediterranean and anything that might be of interest to people along the way that you uh, experienced.
3: Okay we uh, we were originally uh, located in Plymouth in uh, Sutton Harbour Marina which was uh which is right in the middle of the barbican which is a very old part of plymouth and probably one part that didn't get bombed in the war so it was uh, it's it's quite old lots of old buildings it's where the founding fathers left to go to the states there there are steps there and a museum uh commemorating that and it's uh i think we found uh, that it was a, a great place to be located because it was central but because there's so much nightlife, there was quite a lot of singing, dancing, and merriment around us, which didn't, wasn't really necessarily very good for sleeping. Um, but I think
2: uh, I think what it was, we were only supposed to be there for about four weeks. Yeah, but because we had lots of teething problems with the engine we ended up staying there for nearly 10 weeks mm. and the heating we, as well the heating broke so we had an engineer on board virtually every day he felt like he'd moved onto the boat and i it got just i was desperate to go by that point you were you were and we, we just were just to leave. we were just in a
3: continual cycle of lists of jobs and trying to get them done and and the boiler when it was installed uh, didn't work and then they got it to, he got it to work better and more efficiently but there was still something wrong with it and in the end actually and
2: then it, the, the oven and the cooker broke yeah, and that was like another yeah. week
3: yeah there were just loads oh, loads just of things so they, <laughs> they, they ended up swapping the boiler out completely which actually fixed the problem it was a A faulty brand new boiler. I think when you're
2: actually on the move, when you're when you're sailing and you've you've started your journey, you're more philosophical about things going wrong with the boat. But just before we were about to go, it it was a real pain.
3: It was. We we were we were really pushing and pushing, and you know we we were working uh, till two in the morning, trying to get things finished. and eventually we just said look we're going to go we've got stuff on the to-do list but we're just going to go and uh we ended up uh, we previously had sails up and down uh, the south coast just to get a feeling for how she sailed but not not as not as much as we'd hoped for originally and we just set sail um, and decided to go, and we we sailed from Plymouth...
2: To Foy, which yeah. is a beautiful little um, English coastal town where Daphne du Maurier uh, lived and, and where she wrote her most famous novels. It was beautiful, and so we stayed there and then headed on to Falmouth, um, which was only a, a day sail. Mm.
3: And that was beautiful as well, and lots of history, and, 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 and Plymouth, that whole south coast, has got such massive history and I love the the 1800s and and the, and the naval history around that time so Plymouth is just fantastic there's so many uh, remnants of that history plus uh, everything that's going on with the Royal Navy now and lots of destroyers and lots of amazing things that you see submarines uh, lots of uh, naval shipping, and commandos. where we had the
2: boat um, in the boatyard, Will's boatyard. Yes, very historic. It's yeah. like the oldest one.
3: Yes, um, we had the the boat looked after uh, before we moved on uh, at a place called Stirling and Sons, and we've we've become friends with Will Stirling now, and he he's got a boatyard that was built in 1763. Um, and the roof was put on in something like 1814 or something. Sorry, yeah, 1814, and it built one of Nelson's flagships. And just going there was like, it, it was. It's like stepping Isn't back. He's a
2: relative of Nelson. He
3: is. He's the great great grandson of Nelson, yeah. and the, he's built one of the one of the boats uh, that is displayed outside of Nelson's flag, main flagship, which is uh, uh, HMS Victory in Portsmouth and uh you step into this amazing cathedral it's a slipway, and it's just it's massive and it's just filled with all these artisans working in wood great piles of teak and mahogany and their lease only allows them to work on wooden boats so there's no there are no f- glass fiber boats there or steel boats and so it's just an amazing place to have your boat worked on and uh I went down there the night before before we launched, uh, I, I went into this lit cathedral, it's like a cathedral, and looked around, I thought it was fantastic, and then the next day I, I went down to the boat, I stood on the at the front of their slipway, and just before uh, we came through, this huge uh, police speedboat came by and told us not to launch, this huge destroyer came past at the end, there were helicopters going by. Um, it was just uh, it was just an amazing array of ship uh, all things, ship, all things shipping it was just a, it's fantastic and uh, across from his yard there's a place called Mashford's again 17 something it was all built out of the rock they had they've got fantastic boats there and throughout the whole process mm-hmm we've met some amazing people in Plymouth owners of boats that are hundreds of years old that've had restored and you know it's just been a a real um sort of boating extravaganza um there if you love sailing and you love sh- boats and ships it's just the place to go you, it's right. just amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know even just sailing from one marina to the next when we brought her across to Will's yard you know we were um, virtually attacked by two police boats and pushed into the shallows. Thankfully, we didn't ground, and that's just because they were escorting this huge dis- destroyer up to one of the yards. Um, but you know, they, they 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 just assume you're a terrorist if you're in a boat and they're, you're near one of their destroyers. It's a, a strange, a strange place, but just amazing, yeah, yeah, amazing yeah. sights. Yeah. Um, so we set off from there. We went to
2: so we Foy, arrived in Falmouth, Falmouth and then. We waited for the right, what we thought would be the the best weather to sail across the Bay of Biscay. And our third
3: crew member jumped ship, my oldest son Sam, (laughs) who decided that actually being on a boat with two small children uh, and sailing through the Bay of Biscay probably wasn't uh, the most fun uh, thing uh, that he thought about doing. He thought it was going to be interesting, but I think he missed home and his girlfriend and he just said, look... I just can't do it. And we said, OK, that's so fine. So he,
2: he took the train back and then Sasha and I sat over a bottle of wine and said, should we do Biscay just us two? Uh, the insurance wouldn't. Yeah, the, insur- the, the us, insurance
3: was valid because invalid because uh, we had to have three able crew as part of the crossing. And, oh, right. and we were down to two. But so, we thought,
2: sod it, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let's just do it. And, uh, I don't think I
3: mentioned the insurance to you at that, 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 no, that time. No, no, no. Hadn't. I may have missed it. But that. we knew it was going to be <laughs>
2: four days, four nights, four days. Four nights, days. yeah. yeah. And
1: so, so was the insurance missed intentionally or
2: by Yes,
3: accident? yeah, I didn't mention that at all because I thought that would have been the tipping point and we'd have been stuck in Falmouth for the rest of...
2: But that was the least of my worries. <coughs> I've never been so ill and terrified and seasick in all my life. It was... Uh, Five days of, of virtually unmitigated terror and illness, but there were, there, yeah. there were occasional moments of, of joy. You've there seen were. dolphins and... You Phosphorescence. Know, but it, and it was a baptism of fire for me. You know, talk about getting your sea legs, yeah. but I didn't get them until we were halfway down the Atlantic coast. Um, it was very, very rough um, and scary... The kids were fine. They're like born sailors. They they were absolutely fine. But I, I struggled a lot. First two days I couldn't get out of bed. Mm. So basically, Sash sailed it single-handedly on a few hours sleep um, over over four nights. And
3: I uh, started to hallucinate, hallucinate. At, at one point. Yeah. Um, I actually saw. Uh, what looked look like the devil's face <laughs> in the, in one of the sails that I brought down overnight in in heavy weather. Uh, before I think we, that
2: was about the third or fourth night. The, that that was, that was
3: the last night. Um, we we set off with a with a six to seven day view, which said uh, force three to four, and uh, the reality was it was uh, five to six, gusting mm-hmm. to seven, and 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 where and the problem biscay has is um uh, despite the fact it's a very very deep um part of the world as far as I'm concerned in terms of my normal sailing the reality is it's shelving and the, the atlantic coming in uh and, and the and the and the depth coming down means that the waves start to get a bit unpleasant so we found
2: but it's quite strange uh, because we didn't really see any other boats, did we? It was no. like five days of just
3: us. Just us and, and big waves and lots of wind. And the the boat loved it. We had all the sails up. She was going like a train, you know, sometimes eight, eight and a half knots, which is as much as we've seen.
0: Yeah. All, you
3: know, either all off off the beam or off the uh, Starboard Quarter. Um, part of the problem was the swell uh, was very uncomfortable. Um, and, so, you know, sometimes at night we, we were having some... some Quite exciting times, um, but the, you know, the
2: thing was, I was so ill, I, c- I couldn't, I couldn't help. And yeah. I, you know, I could hear Sash running about on deck, trying to do <laughs> stuff. I just thought, God, he could be swept overboard. I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't do anything. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. able to move. So, so
3: I was kind of, I was kind of part captain, part first mate, part chef and cook, and and looking after Lottie and the kids. And it was fine actually, because the boat pretty much sails herself. Uh, She's got an autopilot. She was balanced on the sails. Um, you yeah, know, the wind was, con- you know, consistently um, strong.
2: But we were so thankful to reach Ecarunia in yeah. Spain. So yeah. we re- we reached there and. But we'd had a
3: terrible night the night before. Yeah. Uh, we got down to the coast and, you know, we we'd been thrown about. The all the all the books came off the book bookshelf. All the. Uh, all the, toy, the kids' toys were on the floor. Came, I came down in the morning and it was just like a sea of books and toys and Lego. It was just horrendous. We were hit really badly that last night. Are you yeah. sure it
1: was the weather or was it the kids?
3: <laughs> yeah, it could, could have been.
2: <laughs> but uh, amazingly, the kids slept through it all. The kids, you know, the kids were
3: fine. bruised you know,
2: all over my body from yeah, being whacked against yeah. the, uh, the, the wooden mm. thing to keep me in. Hector,
3: Hector would come up at night time and spend two or three hours with me. Uh, from about nine to about 11 and you know it was just the kids were just totally relaxed about it um, the boat was fine i was okay but obviously i was feeling responsible for it all um, and you know when we got to our uh we, we we pulled into the marina having come up the river and it was just like it was magic We it was dry land and settled and and we we came into the marina and there were just the, it was a it must have been a weekend day or something because there were about 100 people around the around the, the side of the marina so there was a park there and they're all standing watching and we had to back her into this tiny little space <laughs> and yeah. that was Oops. that that was problem number 1 and problem number 2 was my brain was just it was at, at the at the very very end of its uh, uh of its usefulness and uh Actually, we actually had towed our dinghy across uh, Biscay, which was fine. It, wow. It,
1: it, was, it well, survived.
3: It survived. <laughs> it didn't fall off, but it probably tethered and everything, but it, we towed it. Um, and, uh, and I think because of the last set of waves, we'd had her on quite a long, a long set of ropes. Um, and uh, And we got into the marina and I started to put it in reverse. And I suddenly thought, why is our dinghy accelerating towards us and we're not moving and then suddenly I thought oh crap (laughs) the rope's just gone around the propeller so I stuck it in neutral quick as I could and it stopped just by the by the transom and all these people were standing there
2: laughing and shouting uh,
3: yeah they were all just standing watching thinking what's going on here I I had a sailing knife with me so I jumped overboard cut all the uh, all the ropes uh, securing the dinghy uh, and put her on a, a chain that I had, thankfully to hand, and thankfully the rope was it was round the propeller. But we we could reverse, yeah. so we reversed <laughs> into the spot with the help of the Marinaros there, and they, yeah, we tied up and and then we were there for ten days.
2: We were supposed to be there for two days. Yeah, but we, to... we needed ten days to recover. Uh,
3: well, you know, my brain was just totally shot. I, I totally lost the ability to find anywhere. I'd obviously overused that whole navigation part of my brain. <laughs> I couldn't... I, I went places I just couldn't get back. And it's the first time that's ever happened. I actually got quite upset about that at one point. I know, I don't oh, know It was why. bizarre. And but uh, then
2: after that, we we just went down the Atlantic coast and yeah. we...
3: But while we were there, every day people come up and say, do you know you've got a piece of rope wrapped around your propeller? And we go... Yes, we do. We're, just, we're going to get <laughs> off soon, and then somebody would come along. Do you know you've got a rope? <laughs> they would be knocking on the on the side of the boat. Excuse me. Do you know you've got a rope wrapped right around your propeller? Yeah, and you, had, you to dive in had to dive into to this warm. freezing
2: yucky water. Ah,
3: uh, it was a, and it took two goes with a Stanley knife to cut it off. And it was
1: just a nightmare, and everybody was watching. So, so you were saying that basically that sail, that that five-day sail across Biscay Bay, which you know, terrorizes a lot of people. You guys did as almost what your third sale? Um well no, we'd we'd had a we'd had
3: about three three sort of working up sales in and around Plymouth. They
2: were just day and we, sales. And
3: yeah day sales. But we've been to we went to Foy and yeah, back again. Yeah. But the reality was as a matter how, we'd only done a few, but it was it, it wasn't enough <laughs> it was you know but, that was our big you know
2: if if i'd known it was going to be like that i would've wouldn't wouldn't done it wouldn't
1: have gone
3: no but
2: if if i had any inkling it was yeah, yeah. that so, <laughs> I have done
1: so it. so did sasha know it was going to be like that and maybe keeping it no from... <laughs> de- no definitely not and you know the forecast said something completely
3: different to actually the reality of being there and and Lottie was saying before we didn't see any other sailing boats we saw a couple of big cargo ships and we had one bizarre moment where this twin-engine Cessna aircraft came down to about fifty feet. I mean, it flew just narrowly, miss missing the top of the masts. I thought, what the hell's that? You know, suddenly I heard the engines, and then it came right across us, and it it went up and it banked round, and then it came right across us again, really, really low. And I've got some photographs, and I thought, well, is that drug enforcement? Is it somebody? Just Wanted to come and have a look at a sailing boat, it, it was just a weird experience. Mm. I tried to contact them on the radio, they obviously didn't have a marine radio, um, yeah. but it was a bit odd. But we saw some fantastic things you know, the stars in the sky were amazing with we no light like pollution, the phosphorescence coming off
1: the back of the boat at night time, the the dolphins were fantastic. Yeah. And Did it settle down at any time, or no, just a no, constant no. no,
2: all the way down past Portugal, back to Spain, not till really we'd. Gone round Gibraltar into the Balearics, did it get a bit better? But we mm. were pushing against it all our way down yeah. the Atlantic coast. Yeah, the Atlantic. We? It, well,
3: the, yeah, it was the
2: Atlantic coast. I think we were unlucky.
3: Yeah. Well, the uh, the Atlantic coast. We had the wind in our favour. It was it was a uh, north northwesterly wind, so it's pushing us down. But we we had um, the the wind and waves were always at odds with each other. So. You know we were corkscrewing all the way down it was really uncomfortable um, you know we, we would set off saying we'll do two or three days to try and get as far down as possible and virtually every trip we were saying right we're just going to find the alternate uh, the alternate and just go and just get in because we were just yeah absolutely sick of it you know just it, crashing about and so yeah. tiring it's yeah. just really it was it was pretty bad but we found some fantastic places yeah. So so after you got the rope out of the prop Oh yeah, um, well we got the rope out of the prop, and we spent ten fantastic days there because Lottie's got a really good friend that she knew twenty years ago, a guy called John, uh, who you lives should. there. showed all around Ecuarenia,
2: yeah. and it was—it's a beautiful city, really lovely city, very cosmopolitan.
3: It, it's one of those places you'd never go to. It's—you know—it's not on the list of cities yeah. to go and visit. It's not like going to Barcelona and Berlin, and it, it's just—it's
1: this. It's a regional city, mm-hmm. but it's just fantastic. We had a it's really a, great time. This is the same John that came and stayed with you guys yeah. here yes. that I met. Yeah. Yes, this is Newcastle, John. It is. He's he's written a book about all the Newcastles in
2: of in the, the world. world. Yep.
3: And uh oh, yes,
2: not, I've known him for God. Yeah. Twen- over twenty years.
3: Really, he's a colourful character, so, as John. Yeah. And uh, we had a fantastic time there, and it was it was a real. It was a
2: and some of the other places we really loved going down the Atlantic coast were um Cascais. yeah. In Portugal. That was a beautiful mm. beautiful city.
3: And oh, São Jinto as well, Sao Ginto. which was very near a place called Aveiro, which is the
2: the Venice uh, of Portugal.
3: Yeah, which was which beautiful. was worth a, a boat trip in the uh, in the dinghy up to the canals there. You mm-hmm. can get through the lock if you go and speak to the lock keeper. And, and
2: Lagos uh, as well. Yeah, Lagos was 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 nice. Um, but Cascais to me was was just beautiful. I had everything.
3: Yeah, that was right at the, right at the bottom of, uh, of Portugal, wasn't it? On that yeah. corner, on that, that southern facing corner, and uh, it was just a beautiful town. It had a great park there. Uh, it was just a wonderful a wonderful marina to be in.
2: But we had to like push ourselves because at certain points we were picking up. Um, my sons. Your, your sons who were flying my to My sister us, uh, in and the her. Island. So just, we always yeah. were under pressure to get somewhere to, to meet people um, from from the airport. And we knew we would have to mm. find somewhere to anchor or a marina and hire a car. Yeah. So <laughs> <They laughs> exactly. we decided not to do that. Yeah.
1: No. Yes. See, see, that's something that I hear every time from everybody. It's like, you know, don't have any schedules. Don't have any schedules. But... You just end up having some sort of schedule. You do,
3: you do, because you do want to see family, and they want to come out. You know, you're in the Mediterranean on a boat, and the weather's fantastic. And you know, the the only one at the moment that we've got for this year, um, my sister is renting a house near Fiscado in
2: Kefalonia. Kefalonia.
3: yeah, and, and Greek island. And so my boys, my older boys, are going to come down and stay with them, and we're going to go and moor the boat in we've Fiscado. Got plenty of
2: time for that yeah it's August yeah we we (laughs) don't have to worry about that I mean we're 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 home and dry now we're in the med you know we're we're not going to face anything like Biscay no no
3: it can get pretty pretty nasty sometimes but but... um you know we're going to avoid all that stuff I, I admit to being a um a typical sort of fair weather sailor I you know whilst I love sailing I don't love sailing in really rough weather uh, I, I like sailing in beautiful sunny on beautiful sunny days with enough wind to get us going at a, a decent pace as long as we're doing more than 6 knots i'm happy more than 6 yeah, knots that's pretty good yeah um more than 6 knots you know 6 knots is a pretty good speed it is, so it, is it is it is but that's my when we're going anywhere if you know if we're dropping down to Sort of four knots. uh, I always put the engine on. I think no, and especially as we've come round, we we've had this dead all these deadlines to go meet people. Yeah, Um, you know when we when we drop down to four knots, it's time to put the engine on and. But we, and we, it's
2: amazing, you know, when we first got to Acarunia and 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 then we went down the coast past Portugal. We seemed to just be always in Spain for a long, long time. Yes, it was just it, it, was, it like, was like oh, yeah. we're still in, we're still in Spain, Spain. We're and then we're in Portugal Spain. for ages,
3: and then and then back in Spain again. And uh, so, so you, uh, you stopped in a few places in
1: Spain, right? And yeah. some of them were for a while. Yeah, yeah, we 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 stopped.
2: Yeah, we, so we went to the Balearics. We went to Ibiza and at menorca mahon is beautiful and then we went to Mallorca.
3: Well, that was yeah it was in the middle we went i ibiza first oh, we, yes. w- when we came up the the east coast of spain we dropped uh, we we dropped uh, our kids off and they they went off uh, back home and then we sailed across to Mallorca. Uh, then we we went to ibiza uh, which was fantastic actually it was a surprise but then we got stuck in Mallorca, didn't we?
2: Yes, the engine totally gave yeah. up. But luckily we were just off Alcudia port, which really, again, was lucky, even though it felt unlucky. Our engine had totally went kaput. But we were there for six weeks waiting for yeah. an engine part. Um, well,
3: we, we we were going to spend a week there. We spent a week there, and then we went to start the engine to to move the boat, and it just clicked, and it was a solenoid that had gone... We've got this American engine, and uh, the difficulty was getting the part into Spain, uh, because it, we had to order it from the States, and we ended up ordering three parts, and we ended up getting one. Engine got fixed, but we ended up there for five or six weeks. Thankfully, it was in the port where I used to have a, I had a boat there, a, Je, a Geno, Geno 47, for five or six years, so I, I knew the port, I knew, I knew the... Uh, the people to speak to in terms of fixing the engine because it was well, just too big to, to a job to, for me to fix.
2: We sort of realized then we weren't going to really make Greece, no. the Greek islands, which is where we, you know, our aim. You know, we'd been raising money for a charity to yep. from Anik to Athos in Greece. We just thought, look, we're, we're just not going to do it. Um, we could have done it, but it would have been unpleasant. We'd have ended stressful. up,
3: yeah, we've ended up in the wrong way. So weather.
2: then we started. Just Hearing lots of good things about Sicily and Marina de Ragusa, so we thought we'll we'll head there for winter.
3: That's been um, a good, a fantastic choice, especially for the kids. And you know, there's lots of uh,
1: like-minded people here. As we said before, it's been fantastic. So, so that's so you went all the way from the Baleric's to um, to Sicily, or was
3: we there any stop? Stopped
2: in um, Sardinia. We did. Oh, we okay. stopped in a couple yeah.
1: of places in Sardinia.
2: And then, although had, it was getting
3: a bit lonely, then wasn't it? It was we were the only boat in, in, time, in, in time
2: was October, it? wasn't it? Early yeah, October. it was early
3: October by then. Yeah. So we'd we'd end up in in a you know in a bay, and we'd be the only the and only. You boat. start
2: thinking, ooh, yeah, maybe we should crack it's, on. It's starting to get a bit yeah. late in the season,
3: though.
2: <laughs> actually, in home. retrospect, we could have carried on yeah. for easily another month. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we 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 came here and. Uh, you know, at the end of this month, we will set sail again and we're going to be heading up around the heel of Italy, up towards Montenegro, um, stay there for a week and then back down to the Greek islands. And we will spend a lot of time in the Ionian islands, Corfu, um, Paxos, Cephalonia, Ithaca, Lefkada, and then hopefully go around the Peloponnese, mm-hmm. which will just be amazing. Then we we'll the have dream. to decide
3: what we're going to do for yeah. the rest of the year
2: yeah we, we could... had originally thought about crossing the Atlantic mm. yeah, <laughs> but yeah. we're, we're just we're not ready for that we haven't explored the med enough so yeah. Yeah. we shall see we, we have learned I have learned in particular that you, your plans will change you know your itinerary will change and you've got to keep flexible and adaptable when you're sailing
3: yes that, that, that's probably a key thing that's probably the thing you struggle with most you to know, begin with it it was yeah to begin with because it, it's oh we'll do this by this time, and mm. nothing ever works out like that no. on a boat you know you've got the the weather against you, you've got the boat against you, you've got just sod's law against you, everything yeah. everything co- contrives to make your plan different, but then you learn to be flexible and work around it, and actually life's a lot easier when you when you just go oh we'll, yeah. do, we'll do it
1: tomorrow, so um probably. I guess getting this sort of wound up you're looking at leaving sometime at the end of this month probably um before you go what's what are the main things on your to-do list okay um because we're an old boat we've got to start some varnishing but the weather's
3: uh slightly in the way of that at the moment but it's starting to look up um it's a bit too windy at the moment
2: 14 coats <laughs> well, it
3: won't be—it won't be as many coats as that. And I also need to t- tighten up the uh, um, the bolts on the on the stern tube. We're letting in letting a bit of water at the back, and a bit of work on the fridge, uh, which is uh, a bit of pipe work that's dripping. But apart from that, there's, there's not major things to do. Um, they're just normal boat jobs. But there's stuff yeah. I'd like to do before we go. Um, but. Uh, you know the reality is if i was a betting man i i would say we are not going to be out of this marina in april i would say yes, i would say it's the end of the first week of may that just it just has that feeling about yeah. it i don't know yeah. what it is but uh it's you yeah. know plans just going yeah. differently the weather you know the 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 weather here is supposed to uh hold if you don't go in if you don't go at the beginning of april you're supposed to be stuck here until the end of May. Whether well, that's going to be true or not, no. Uh, no. But I, I doubt it. And 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 because we need a bit of wind compared to everybody else, actually, it's probably going to be perfect sailing weather if it's a bit windy. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: but
2: uh, yeah. So I've I've um, stocked up on my seasickness tablets. Yeah. <laughs> we we'll
3: have started to reprovision the boat. Lots <laughs> of tins of beans <laughs> for the kids. Um, loads of bottled water. Yeah. We're just we're now sort of turning this boat, which for six months has been a house back into a boat you know it's uh, we haven't quite had plant pots on the top but it's it's taken on a diff- it takes on a different form when you're just parked in a marina you do diff- you do things differently you store things differently you don't mm. shut cupboards and lock them you know mm. you, do, you, you lapse back into a landlubbers' life <laughs> um, and then you've got to get back into making sure things are locked and locked shut and doors are clipped open and all the things you've forgotten to do um, and just turn it back into a boat. We've got to probably turn out every single locker and put it all back in again just for it to be yeah. back back yeah. in order. Yeah. You know I'm a, I'm a great believer in just knowing where everything is when you're sailing you know knowing where light switches are when it's dark and you know just being able to feel your way through the boat um, just it, in The event of that awful. Yeah, you accident have to or, you have
2: to plan for the worst contingency because yeah. we we've known we've we found out when we've been sailing, if, if you're sailing it's quite calm you think oh well I will just get that jacket later suddenly mm. it's impossible to get and you're in a situation where you're freezing and wet so yeah. we now yeah. know you just got to be you just do have, it immediately and yeah. have it all prepared.
3: Yeah. So a number of times we've left port and you think oh I'll go and. Uh, I'll go and make a sandwich later. <laughs> you just, you just think, why didn't I make it before and have it ready? Yeah. And you know, just just simple things become so difficult. Um, it's, it's it's I've day sailed and sailed dinghies since the age of six and been out and, um, sailing trailer sailors and cabin cruisers all my life, and then you know I graduated into a larger uh, boat New Yorker, but even then that was that was not this type of sailing. That wasn't setting off for five days or two or three days into the unknown. Um, and things are very it's it's a different mentality. Uh, but living. one of
2: the one of the stories of this boat of Eve Christian is that she sailed round Cape Horn and uh, with
3: another boat that was lost. So, and all, all so, so
2: we know she is. She is a, a steady, safe boat.
3: She is. She's very strong. You know, she's. Uh, she's been in the Caribbean. She was designed originally for the for the Mediterranean. That was that was the design brief from the original owner, and she's been owned by um, a whole bunch of people around.
2: Well, her name Scandinavia. Is, is based on the two sons of a Frenchman, yes. Eve and Christian. Yeah, the
3: original owner's sons were Eve and Christian, and that's where the name comes from. Uh, but she's been called other things um and and the the Cape Horn trip was that with the original owner and i have and no idea and what i do know is that the previous previous owner was an antique dealer and you know i've never been able to prove that she was built for the uh, the finance minister of charles de gaulle and i half wonder whether that's a bit of his uh, oh, right. s- storytelling, uh, value uh, work. Yeah, Value just to yeah. add a bit of value, although when he did sell it to the previous owner, um, the guy that he had to do the survey totally missed the fact that all the hull fixings were totally rotten and the sub-deck was totally rotten and so he bought this boat, sailed it for a year and then suddenly realised it was starting to leak and things wow. weren't quite right and then he had it investigated and found that the survey was worth nothing, he sued the guy and they, they made a, a quite large settlement uh, on the court steps and they ploughed all the money they got from that into a three year rebuild where they just stripped her right the way down to her frames and rebuilt her over three years and uh, at huge expense. So she's while she was built in 1952, the reality is the boat we see now is from 2000 to 2003. Everything was renewed, the whole thing. And the previous owner was absolutely meticulous about everything he I've got CAD drawings of all the systems on board. Uh, he personally designed a lot of uh, the fittings that he had made bespoke for the boat and uh, you know th- there's a video a sail video that we that we watched uh, that's on the website um, that describes uh, luke who was uh, who was um, He'd he drive his family nuts. He'd spend ages looking for a particular type of fitting, so they'd go out, you know, they'd go without this thing that they desperately needed because Luke was looking for something, the right one. And if yeah, you couldn't yeah. find it, he would have it made by somebody. Um, but what we, the legacy of that is, we've got this incredible, strong, over-engineered boat uh, that's absolutely perfect for what we yeah. need.
1: I'll um, I'll make sure that we have the links to to the sites that you're talking about. But what about you guys? I mean, there's the Facebook page. Do you want to tell people about that? Or yes, we've got we've got a it's sa-
3: sailing eves. Yeah, everything's sailing eve. So if you look on Facebook, it's sailing eve.
2: Yeah, and that's spelled Y V E S. Yes. The French way.
3: Yes, it is. And uh, and then we've got a blog www.sailingeve.com, uh, which is a WordPress blog, uh, which is um, particularly underutilised. Now we're just living in a house. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, so it, like, we haven't
2: really got much to, yeah, <laughs>
3: to write
2: about at the moment. No,
3: but it'll, it'll get going again once we start getting going.
2: Yeah, but if you want to look in more detail about yes. some of, the, you know, our passage down yes. from horrendous pictures the
3: of the boat on the beach at 45 degrees yeah, and that's stuff like all that. Ever. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: yeah. All right. Well, look, um, it's getting late. It's um, it's nearly 11 o'clock, so uh, I think it's bedtime for all of us, but I'd like to say thank you very much to uh, Sasha and Lottie for uh, the interview, and um, we'll uh, hand it over to France to to put it up online. So thanks again.
3: Thank Thank you, Jack. Thank you very much.
0: Jack, thanks so much for that interview. I really appreciate it. Good job. I hope other listeners decide to start contributing their stories to the podcast as well. One last thing before we close out. If you are studying for the ASA 101, 103, or 104, I have audio lessons that are highly reviewed by the people that actually listen to them. They're available at the website. You can also find them in iTunes and I think on Amazon.com. But if you have a choice, I'd prefer that you buy them through the website. I get more money that way. And that's the other way you can support this podcast You can do it two ways, either by becoming a patron on patreon.com, which is patreon.com backslash medsailor, or going to the website medsailor.com and buying some of my audio lessons. They are damn good, if I do say so myself. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.